You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. As you know, we are working through the book of Ezekiel. It's a long book. It's a complex book. It's a fascinating book. It's a challenging book. And it's an inspiring book. So we've been experiencing it from all those different aspects. And we've made it all the way to Ezekiel 25, chapter 25. I was going to try to cover 25 through 27, 28. And when I started studying 25, like, there's no way we'll get that far. So we're just going to study 25 uh, tonight. Then next uh, time we're together, we'll talk about Tyre. And that's several chapters and a lot to talk about with that. Ezekiel chapter 25. Just a reminder of the outline of this book. It's there in your notes. This is a very broad brush type outline. But you'll remember chapters 1 through 3 deal with the prophet's call when God calls Ezekiel to the prophetic ministry. The historical context is this. Nebuchadnezzar had gone into, the king of Babylon had gone into Judah and Jerusalem and taken thousands of Jews back to Babylon in captivity or exile. And Ezekiel, who was a priest, was one of the ones taken back to Babylon And during his time in Babylon, God called him to preach messages uh, to his people who were there in exile. So the prophet's call is found in chapters 1 through 3. The second part of the outline is uh, really a series of messages of judgment for Jerusalem and Judah. So God's talking directly to his people about his people. And really a lot of the messages center on the coming judgment of Jerusalem, the the impending doom. And last time we were together in Ezekiel, we studied that, how uh, Jerusalem uh, was uh, was prophesied to fall, and it did fall. So that's the second part of the outline. Third part, which we'll start tonight, uh, is a a section that deals with messages for foreign nations. So it's almost like Ezekiel, speaking on behalf of God, is talking to the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Now he's going to broaden his message to surrounding nations. It's fascinating what he has to say to these different nations. And then there's a message after the fall of Jerusalem. He has some things to say on the, the, the backside of Jerusalem falling. And then part five, there's a vision of restoration for his people, a message of hope. That's how this book is outlined. Dr. Easley gives us a summary of this book. If you wanted to explain to somebody what the book of Ezekiel is about, you could share this summary From exile in Babylon, Ezekiel's stunning visions and startling symbolic acts were prophecies for the Israelites to teach God's sovereign plan over them in the history of his kingdom so that they shall know that I am the Lord. And that's a phrase that's used often throughout the book. God acts the way that he acts so that people will know who he is and take him seriously. That's what the book is about. Starting here in chapter 25, we're going to see God speaking through Ezekiel to other nations. Messages for other uh, nations. And uh, I think Ralph Alexander, Old Testament scholar, gives us a really good summary of these messages. He says, The messages in this series 
turn, so he's like he's turning from the Jews to, to other nations, he turns to denounce the surrounding nations that has rejoiced, that have rejoiced over Judah's downfall and had hoped for personal spoil and gain. So as God was using Babylon as an instrument, he was wielding them as an instrument to, to bring judgment on his own people, the other nations were saying, yeah, go Babylon. We don't like those Jews. We're, we're glad you're suffering. We're glad you're being destroyed. And so Ezekiel said, okay, i got a message for you too, other nations rejoicing in the downfall of the Jews. Alexander goes on to say, God announced judgment on these nations lest their gleeful taunts, their gleeful taunts continue. And the exiles question his faithfulness to his promises. And so that's what these, these messages in chapters 25 through 32 are really all about. Now you're going to see, and I just kind of want you to keep this in the back of your mind, but when he speaks to each nation, you're going to see there's a basic pattern that he uses. There's an introduction, kind of an introductory thought, who God's speaking to, the nation he's directing his message to. Then there is a statement of accusation where God uh, you know, brings forth the sin that he's going to judge them for. And then there's the verdict where God says, because you've done this, I'm going to do this. And it is a sentence of judgment when he speaks to these nations. So what I want to do is... I want to walk very quickly through the four messages to four different nations here in chapter 25. And then at the very end, we're going to draw some, some takeaways from the text and some things we need to keep in mind big picture related to these messages. So four messages for four nations. Everybody ready? Okay. Okay. Three, four, five. Okay. Okay, good. That's good. That's enough. Four messages for four nations. First of all, there's a message for Ammon. A-M-M-O-N. A-M-M-O-N. A message for Ammon. When you see uh, people from Ammon being referred to in the Bible, they're often referred to as the Ammonites. So these are people from the nation of Ammon. So look what it says there in chapter 25, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Aha, over my sanctuary when it was profane, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, behold, I'm handing you over to the people of the east for possession. They shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, a pasture for camels, and am in a fold for flocks, then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel, therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you. I will hand you over as plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So pretty serious a pretty serious message for the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites are interesting, and you just kind of keep this in mind. They were, they were related to the Jews. Because if you remember the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19, the Ammonites descended from really a really tragic story. They descended from Lot's incestuous relationship with his youngest daughter. You remember when Lot escaped uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels ushered Lot and his family away so they would not be destroyed with the fire and brimstone. Lot's wife, remember, she, she, she was commanded not to look back. She looked back, and what'd she turn into? 
pillar of salt. You know that story well. And then the, the daughters uh, make it to a safe place with Lot. They're worried they're not going to be able to have children. They're not going to have progeny. So they basically get their father, Lot, drunk so they can get pregnant. A really, really awful story. Very sad uh, story of human depravity and brokenness. But one of the offspring uh, was the offspring that led to the Ammonites. That's who he's talking to here uh, in this passage. They settled in the Transjordan area. That means beyond the Jordan, other side of the Jordan, kind of south of Gilead. And uh, their capital, again, was Rabbah. And if you're wondering where that is in today's time, Rabbah is basically modern-day uh, Amman, Jordan. So if you know where Jordan is, uh, and Amman, the, the, the capital there, that's basically where the Ammonites were, where Rabbah was. And God has a message for them. And, and, and here's the message, if you look there in your notes. God judged the Ammonites because they rejoiced over the demise of Israel. They didn't like the Jews. And they rejoice when the Jews were going through difficult times. He even says there in verse 6, Because you have uh, clapped your hands and stamped your feet, they were celebrating, rejoice with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Because you were celebrating their demise. Therefore, God says, I have stretched out my hand against you. I will hand you over as plunder to the nations. And so he's basically saying, listen, you're going to experience the same thing the Jews experienced. You're not getting away with your rebellion. You're not getting away with your sin. You're not getting away with your pagan idolatry. You will be judged too. So don't be so quick to cheer on the demise of the Jews when your judgment is coming. And by the way, their judgment did come. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded that Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian king, about five years after the fall of Jerusalem, which we talked about last time we were together, about five years afterward, around 582, 581 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar marched into Ammon, destroyed them, and took many of them captive. So kind of the same thing. So they were cheering on the demise of Israel. God sent judgment. That's a message for Ammon. All right. Now, there's also a message for Moab. A message for Moab. Again, somewhat related to the Jews because this is the nation that came from the other daughter of Lot. Uh, Ammonites and the Moabites came from this incestuous uh, relationship between uh, Lot and his daughters. This, the Moabites came from Lot's eldest daughter. Again, you can read that story over in Genesis chapter 19, 30 through 38. Uh, and look what it says in chapter 25, verse 8. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, Moab and Seir, a part of Moab. Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. Therefore I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Jeshemoth, Belmeon, and Kiriathim. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession, that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations. I will execute judgment upon Moab, then they will know that I am the Lord. Now the Moabites play a fairly prominent role in the unfolding story of Scripture. Moab, if you look there in your notes, Moab had a long history of opposition against Israel. A long history. They, were, they, they lived in settled opposition against the Jews. If you remember, back in the book of Numbers, there was a king named Balak, who hired a prophet-type figure, kind of a mysterious prophet-type figure named Balaam, 
to come and curse the Jews because the Jews were settling just outside the, the borders of his country and he was worried that they were so strong and big they were going to overthrow his nation. So he hired this man named Balaam to curse the Jewish people, to bring down curses upon them. And remember, when Balaam finally agreed to go, he was riding a donkey, right? And the Lord appears to the donkey as, and I believe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, as a mighty warrior, and the donkey stops. And Balaam starts beating him. Keep going, keep going. And, and the Lord allows the donkey to talk. He said, why are you beating me? You know, I'm, I'm stopped for a reason. And then he, then he, he uh, Balaam sees uh, the angel of the Lord there. And it, it's kind of a, 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 a amusing story. Uh, but the king that hired Balaam to curse the Jews, Balak, was a Moabite. He was the Moabite king. And what's interesting is it didn't work because every time Balaam would go to curse the Jews, uh, God would say, Balaam, don't curse the Jews, bless the Jews. Don't curse the Jews, bless the Jews. And so Balaam would not curse the Jews. But then a little bit later, Balaam taught them, you know, there is another way. Maybe I can't directly curse the Jews, but if you can get the Jews to start intermarrying uh, with the nations around them, marrying foreign wives, then they will start worshiping the gods, those, the false gods of those foreign wives, and it will destroy the Jews from the inside out, which is exactly what happened. Balaam's the one who gave them that idea. And again, this came from the Moabites. So Moab had a long history of opposition against Israel. And, and Moab did not regard Israel as God's chosen people. Look what it says there in verse 8. This is very, very important for a point I'm going to make a little bit later. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. So basically they're saying, look, at they're, they're getting destroyed. There's nothing special about them. Babylon's overthrowing them. They're, they're not a big deal. They're not special. They claim to be God's people. And look, they can't even defend themselves from a foreign invader. And so he said, because you see the Jews as just another nation and you do not recognize Moab that they belong to me. They are my chosen people. Judgment is coming. Moab did not regard Israel as God's chosen people. And, and here's another thing about Moab. Moab was a very proud nation. A very proud nation. Look what it says in verse 9. Verse 9 the Bible says, Therefore I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Shemesh, Belmion, and Kiriathim. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession. Now here's the deal about the geography. If, if, if you've ever been to this part of the world, uh, the Moabites lived just to the east of the Promised Land, uh, across the Jordan, up on, in the mountains. And they were very, very proud of their position. They, they believed their nation was impregnable. They, they didn't think they could be uh, overthrown. In fact, listen to what it says in Isaiah 16. You don't need to turn there. I'll turn there for you. But Isaiah chapter uh, 16, verse 6. Listen to what the Bible says about the Moabites. It says, We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride, his insolence, in his idle boasting, he is not right. And so God calls out the pride of Moab. Much of their, their pride was, we can't be overthrown. We can't be defeated. We live in a, an impregnable place. They were in the mountains, Dead Sea on the west, desert on the east. 
And the Lord says, I'm going to bring uh, those who will overthrow you. He says there in verse 9, I will lay open the flank. And that probably refers to uh, the part of, uh, of their northwest border that they thought was inaccessible. It was a, there were high cliffs there, and they didn't think their flank could be attacked. And God said, I'm going to bring people right across the flank, and I'm going to overthrow you. They were a proud, proud nation. And then, verse, uh, sorry, chapter, uh, sorry, message number three, message for Moab, there's next a message for Edom. A message for Edom. And by the way, the Assyrians overthrew the Moabites. Babylonians attacked them. The Assyrians attacked them. I mean, Moab was decimated. Third, there's a message for Edom. Look what it says in chapter 25, verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, Because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, therefore thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast. And I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They, fall, they shall fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. They shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. They shall know, that, uh, they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. God, and this is in your notes, God judged Edom for an ongoing attitude of vengeance against his people. The Edomites hated the Jews. And, and they wanted to get them back for what they perceived as wrongs that were done, uh, inflicted upon them. And so they had this ongoing attitude. We want to see the Jews suffer. We want to see the Jews decimated. We want to see the Jews... The Edomites hated the Jews. Now, this attitude of hatred, and this is very interesting, began again in the book of Genesis. And it began with the conflict of Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Remember that story? And basically, Jacob was a trickster. Jacob um, maneuvered in a very deceptive way to take Esau, the firstborn, take his birthright and his firstborn blessing. And there was enmity there. Esau hated Jacob. And as Jacob had descendants, who we know as the nation of Israel, and, and, and Esau had descendants, as we know as the nation of Edom, they hated each other. It went back to this original conflict between Jacob and Esau. So the Edomites are descendants of Esau. All right. So you kind of get the, the idea here of why there was so much enmity uh, between the two. This resentful and vindictive spirit on behalf of the Edomites was perpetual. Throughout their history, Edom was a thorn in Israel's side. Edom had desired to conquer the Jews and their land. And they, they spitefully uh, de- degraded uh, the Jews. L- let me show you a couple examples. Turn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. This is a psalm that was a song that the Jews sang when they were in captivity in Babylon. And look what it says in Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So it's a song of lament, a song of mourning. We're far from our homeland. We miss Jerusalem. We miss Judah. We, we miss home. And they were, they were lamenting sorrowfully in this psalm. And now fast forward down to verse 7. 
Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. They were, they were so excited to see the Babylonians come against Jerusalem. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. And so the point there is this, the Edomites were gleeful in seeing the Jews suffer at the hand of the Babylonians. In fact, the Edomites were so rebellious against God's people, or so, um, so filled with hatred towards God's people, that there's an entire book of the Bible where God's speaking to the Edomites. Anybody know what the book of the Bible that is? It's one chapter, Old Testament. Anybody know? The book of Obadiah. The book of Obadiah is a message to the Edomites. And it's a message of coming judgment for the Edomites. Again, because of their, their hostility toward the Jews. And so there's a message here for Ammon, a message for Moab, a message for Edom. Fourth and last, quickly, a message for Philistia. Philistia. Look what it says in verse 15 of Ezekiel 25. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy never-ending enmity, therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines. I will cut off the Cherethites. That was a, a group under the umbrella of the Philistine people. It was a certain part of the Philistines. I will destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them." God judged Philistia for their malice toward his people. Now, the Edomites and the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites were all related in some way to the Jews. The, the Philistines were not. They were kind of coastal people just to the west of the promised land. And they, again, were a thorn in Israel's side. Uh, they show up all the time uh, in God's word. The most famous Philistine that we all know is Goliath, Right? Goliath was the big giant that challenged the Jews when the Philistines and the Jews faced off for battle. And David ended up defeating Goliath with a sling and a stone. It's a wonderful story in the book of 1 Samuel. But we remember the Philistines were enemies of the Jews and, and Goliath was their great champion. And, and all throughout the word of God, the Philistines are fighting against the Jews, attacking the Jews, at, at war with the Jews and when the Babylonians came to overthrow the Jews, the Philistines um, showed great malice. He says there, you took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy never-ending enmity. You, you hated the Jews and were glad to see their demise. So, quick summary. Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, Philistines, God says, your your attitude, your perspective on the destruction of my people is evil and there are consequences. So what I want to do is I want to give you five just really quick takeaways as to how we ought to think about this passage, how it applies to our life, and, 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 and lessons we can learn from this chapter. Number one, it is a serious thing to oppose or harm God's people. It is a serious thing to oppose or harm God's people. Back when God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter uh, 12, he said, I'm going to give you a descendant, and through your descendants I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth, which I believe is messianic. He's saying, I'm going to make you, Abraham, through your descendants into a great nation. We know those people as the Jewish people. Through the Jews, he sent a Messiah. 
uh, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, named Jesus, who came and died on the cross for the sins of humanity. So if anyone, anywhere, places their faith and trust in Christ, they can be forgiven and blessed with salvation. That's the, the fulfillment of the covenant God made with Abraham. But in the midst of that covenant that he made in Genesis 12, he says, I will bless those who bless your descendants, and I'll curse those who curse your descendants. In other words, God's saying, I've chosen your descendants to be my people, my chosen people. And that's a big deal. And if someone comes against my chosen people, they're coming against me. And if they bless you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, I will curse them. The, the common denominator with these four different nations is they curse the Jews. So now, guess what? God is going to curse them. God is going to judge them. It is a serious thing to oppose or harm God's people. Now, the Bible is very clear that through faith we can become children of God. In, in, in some way, we are related to Father Abraham by faith. We become God's chosen people when we place our faith in King Jesus. And so we are the church. We are God's chosen nation. But that does not mean, and this is important, this is a longer discussion for another time, but that does not mean that God is through with ethnic Israel. He's not through with the Jews yet. I, I believe they're still his chosen people because over in Romans chapter 11, the Bible speaks of a, of a time in the future when there will be a great ingathering of Jews that will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So that time's coming. So, so God's not through with the Jews yet. And I believe there's still chosen people. I believe that as Christians, we should lead the way in wanting to bless God's people, God's chosen people, the Jews, and not curse God's people, the Jews. We should, we should support, we should encourage, we should love them and recognize they have a special role in the unfolding plan of redemption that God has put in place. Now, that doesn't mean that Jews don't need Jesus. Jews, they have to be uh, uh, followers of Christ to be born again and go to heaven. Uh, ethnic Jews need to recognize Jesus as the Messiah to be saved and place their faith and trust in Him. But, but what the point I'm making is this. Even though there is the church now, and we become children of God by faith, children of Abraham by faith, God's not through with ethnic Jews yet. And I believe we should want to see the Jews blessed and not cursed. It is a serious thing to oppose or harm God's people. Number two, God is not threatened by godless nations. Hold your place, but turn to Psalm 2. I want to show you Psalm 2 and just kind of God's, God's reaction against nations that are opposed to him. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What's God's response? When the nations come together and say, We are against God and his ways. We are against God and his people. What's God's response? Look in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens, what? Laughs. He holds them in derision. God is not threatened by godless nations. Then it says, He will speak to them in his wrath, terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy 
heal. And so God is not threatened by godless nations. Number three, godless nations are accountable before God. Back in Ezekiel uh, 25 and verse 7, verse 11, verse 14, verse 17, he says, I'm doing this, I'm moving against you to show you I'm the Lord. To show you you're accountable to me, you must answer to me. I'm the one calling the shots. You cannot, you cannot turn your back to me and not experience the consequences. Godless nations are accountable before God. Number four, one day every nation will bow before King Jesus. One day, every nation will bow before King Jesus. Look back in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. He says, As for me, the Lord speaking here, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That verse is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, referring to Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus right here. Ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of earth your possession. So God the Father saying to God the Son, I'm going to give you the nations as a, as a possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In other words, you'll rule over the nations. You'll be calling the shots. They'll be bowing to you. Now, therefore, there's a message for the nations. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Pay homage to the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So here's what He's saying. If you are rebelling against God, you need to turn to the Son, recognize who He is, and bow before Him. Take refuge in Him, because one day every nation will bow before King Jesus those that know him personally and those who have rebelled against him, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which leads me to number five and we'll be done. There is hope for the nations. So even though there are nations that are rebelling against God, even though our nation in many ways rebels against God, there is hope. And let me tell you just a kind of a quick story, a quick illustration of that. Remember the story of Ruth? The Bible says at the beginning of Ruth chapter 1 that in the days of the judges, in the days of the judges, which is a very dark time in Israel's history, this story of Ruth took place. And, and, and Ruth lived in a foreign land. She ended up, um, after uh, her husband died, she went with her mother-in-law back to where she was from, which was Bethlehem in uh, Judah. And she goes back to Bethlehem in Judah. Her husband had passed away. Uh, she has no child. And yet they find the kinsman redeemer, the one who can keep the family line going, a, a distant relative who could marry her, take care of her, and provide for her children to keep the line of her, of her deceased husband uh, uh, going. And so she meets the kinsman redeemer. His name is... Boaz is a beautiful love story, and Boaz takes care of Ruth, takes care of her mother-in-law, um, Naomi. Um, she has a son, and through the lineage of that son, we get to uh, Obed, we get to Jesse, we get to David, who is uh, a king, who becomes a king. And through the line of David, God sends another king, whose name is Jesus. So here is Ruth, this Widow, young widow, who is, who is um, used by God to, 
to continue the line that leads to the Messiah. In fact, Ruth is in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. When you read the genealogy of the birth of Jesus, Ruth is mentioned there in the genealogy. Now, you know where Ruth was from? Moab. Same nation back in Ezekiel 25 where God says judgment is coming. You've rebelled against my people. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy you. It's going to be bad. But for Ruth, because she turned to the one true God, there was salvation for her. So even though God will one day judge the nations, listen, if anyone living within those nations will turn to Jesus, they will experience not His judgment, they'll experience what? His grace, His salvation, His forgiveness. Which is why, by the way, we do missions, right? Because people in these nations who are godless pagan nations, they're not, they're not preaching the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We send people to say, hey, run to Jesus and be saved. You can be saved. There is hope for the nations. Even Think of the most godless nations on this planet. If the Ruths among them will see their need for a Savior and turn to King Jesus, they will be saved. So these are very serious messages of judgment, but there's always hope because of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? That's really, really good news. Now next week we're going to talk about Tyre, coastal nation uh, along the Mediterranean, again to kind of the uh, northwest of Israel. And God starts talking about the king of Tyre, but as he talks about the king of Tyre, is it becomes pretty obvious he's talking about somebody else. Who's he talking about? Well, we'll get to that next week. All right. The king of Tyre serves as a type or symbol for another nefarious figure. So we'll, we'll get to that next week. So uh, just know that that is um, coming. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.